Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Time now for the balloon party on the Tim McKernan podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yes, yes. Welcome in, it's Balloon Party. Tim McKernan, Action Jackson with you on the program. Come on in, friends. The water is really warm today. We got a lot. We're going to jam into one hour of radio excellence here. Text line number is 314-399-9646, Air Comfort Service text line. And then we got this YouTube chat. And yeah, uh, Don PP runs things in there, but I think he welcomes people to join. So come on into the YouTube chat and talk it over and see what's doing. Uh, the 101 ESPN uh, YouTube chat and Soup has announced his presence. Look at me, Tiny PP. I'm the captain now. So it sounds like Soup wants a piece of Tiny PP. We're going to have some kind of gang warfare. It's like the end of The Godfather. Spoiler alert. Jackson, Jeremy Rutherford, 1045. I want to get right to it because we got so much to talk about. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Jackson Burkett. Jamie Rivers calls him Little Piddles, and he has his Angry Beaver weekend wrap-up. Woo-woo, little weekend wrap-up. A lot going on this weekend in the world of sports. Let's wrap it up. First up, St. Louis City SC was fired up before the very late start and brutal weather here in St. Louis. Did you stay up to watch the whole thing? No. Okay. No, 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 no. Now, for the purpose of people going to pile on Jackson... The way that I have handled late starts, both with the Blues and the Cardinals previously. Now, the Cardinals, that only happened, I feel like it might have been Arizona, like where it was super late, 20 years ago, uh, is I will go to bed because we get up early to do our little HD2 program. Mm -hmm. And I will then watch it in the morning. And I won't look at my phone or anything, so I'm watching it, quote-unquote, live without knowing the result. So that's how I handled the doggies last night. And it's 9.10. I may or may not have taken a potpourri, a, a sleeping pill cocktail. Uh, and uh, my wife uh, joins in our chambers. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, does she want it? Of course she does. Look at me. <laughs> but I, I just did this. I said, uh-uh, uh-uh. MLS playoffs. That's what I did. And she understood. Yeah, no. And then the broadcast team, and I guess there were two different broadcast teams. There was the FS1 team and there was the Apple TV team. Which makes sense if you don't have cable. Correct. And you pay for Apple TV. And at 9-10, following the uh, Red Bulls of New York's loss to Pat Noonan's Cincinnati club, they go, and in 16 minutes, the game will kick off. I'm like, all right, that'll do it. <laughs> I'm all in for watching this at 5 in the morning. Right. So that sucked. Yeah. I mean, still, the atmosphere was sick. No doubt. Uh, considering the weather. I mean, my God, you couldn't ask for something worse as far as temperatures and precipitation goes. But holy crap, Jackson. 
Oof. Go yeah. on with your uh, your query because I'm clearly stepping all over it. All good, man. The first half went very poorly for the doggies, with goals coming far and wide for Sporting KC. Do you think the weather and late start was detrimental for the first playoff game in franchise history? Do you see this as a team coming in somewhat cold, meaning St. Louis, while Kansas City is coming in red hot? Yeah, I was texting with some of my soccer compadres mm-hmm. before the game, and I said, do you think the weather helps or hurts City? And one of the theories was it actually may help them because Kansas City has a few guys who are dealing with some muscle strains and that kind of cold as a soccer player can right. can really be detrimental. Yeah. Um, but wow, I mean that was that was very discouraging to say the very least. Yeah, surprising. I mean it couldn't have been worse as far as the weather, as far as the start time, and as far as the performance. Yeah. Then the outcome, and you're going, oh, that might be it. We might not see them again until February or March of 2024. They've got to win in Kansas City to force a third game on the 11th back in St. Louis. That was stunning. Yeah. Now, they have not been playing well recently, and that's something Taylor Twelman talked about last week, and he'll be with us tomorrow, and I'm anxious to get his perspective. He was the color analyst on the uh, Apple TV call. But to lose like that, to give up the the number of goals in the first half, the number of chances in the first half in addition, uh, and then also, I mean, Sporting Kansas City was firing from all over the place. I mean, those weren't necessarily near misses. Uh Uh-uh. They were outside. And for a team that has been anchored by a superstar goalie in Roman Berkey, and he was getting, I mean, some of them at the second goal, they passed it right back to a Sporting KC player in the box. You can't have that. But a couple of goals were from way out, and goal stop, you know, usually Berkey will stop those, and he wasn't. Yeah, uh, I'm putting you on the spot here. I know we have it in the system because we played it on TMA this morning. But... I wanted to hear what he had to say in particular because even when they're up for nothing and he gives up a goal, I feel like he kind of bitches to the guys in front of him about what happened. So I was like, I want to hear what he has to say about this. Is he going to have some, you know, accountability on it or is he going to point the finger? And we played the soundbite and the audience immediately had a reaction. Let's see what the the audience's reaction is here on 101 ESPN. Here is uh, Roman Berkey following last night's 4-1 defeat. Roman, what, what was the problem out there tonight? Four goals that you've allowed all season, three in the first half. It looked like, how did it get away from you? Yeah, it was, um, I would say, collective, not good enough. Um, we had problems when when they had a goal kick and they played a long ball, usually easy for us to defend. But um, this time today, um, we had we had a lot of problems and uh, just like unusual, no pressure on the ball. You know, let the guys shoot, don't block, the, no no blocking the shot, and um, uh, up front we just uh, were not enough. Like I would say, just not. Um, uh, I would say, yeah, not deadly enough. Um, I would the the shots we had were most like on the goalie, you know, easy saves, and um, the shots they had, they had uh, decent shots. So. Jackson, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I get what he's saying in terms of we have to be collectively well, better. Critical of the uh, forwards' performance as well. For sure, the shots yeah. we had were you know easy for the goalie. Yeah, it's I I, I always anytime a guy speaks in a second language, I always try to. So I I proceed with a little caution, just you know a little. You are? You're a little piddle's empathy. Well, just because, like, I'm sure he could have, if he was speaking his native native tongue of you know Swiss, it would be different. 
However, speaking English, and he did not have all the perfect words to describe what's going on in this game. However, I'm sorry. However. Thank you. He was letting in shots from outside the box, and anytime that happens, you got to give credit to the guy who hit the ball. I mean, it's a couple beautiful shots. That third goal was gorgeous. Bend like Beckham, Knightley. Yeah, that finesse shot on the third goal was gorgeous. But at the end of the day, he's got to be a little bit better. The forwards do have to be better. The shots they were putting on goal weren't great. And yeah, so I, I understand what he's saying collectively, but also... You, you got to take a little bit more accountability probably when it comes to that. But he has been the saving grace all year. I mean, the reason that they're number one in the West, obviously, is the whole team. But you can give a lot of that credit to Roman Yeah, Berkey. Taylor Twelman said he, he's an MVP candidate. Tim, I was there not blaming the ref because City looked terrible. But the way he called the game made it hard for City to get a flow going. But, man, they looked bad. That is from the 3-1-4. I was sitting behind Berkey in the first half. He didn't stand a chance on any of those three. That is from the 3-1-4. Um, yeah. Jackson, you like when a text starts that way? God, no. Swiss is not a language. You're right. You're right. Swiss, uh, they speak like a different kind of German in Switzerland. Like it's a... What about the Swiss miss? Uh, it's great, man. I really... Do you put, do you go milk or water? Hot water or hot milk? Uh, I'm from South City, so we didn't have what you (laughs) had, which was already prepared. Right, right. So, you know, tepid water is what you said. And you're like, oh, Ma brought home the chocolate pudding tonight, bro. (laughs) And we would celebrate and do a little jig because that was our Christmas meal. It wasn't even dessert. Soot all over your face. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the original Tiny Tim, not that Charles Dickens kid. Uh, His native tongue is Swiss. Okay, I get it. I get it. 503. That might be Switzerland. Too. I, 503 yeah. is Switzerland. I get it. It's uh, the, they speak German, but <laughs> you it's had a, such a wonderful take. But the focal point now will be that, <laughs> and understandably so, because Swiss is not in fact a language. But he's from Switzerland. The German they speak there is not the same you're going to get in Germany. So I didn't want to say I don't. Whatever. You just sound like you're resigned. I can't win this battle. Um. So Tim, <laughs> we're getting a lot of those. It's a great morning. What a Tuesday. uh, What's your problem with this playoff format? Do I criticize a bunch of playoff? I hate Major League Baseballs. Baseballs. I guess I like to an extent college basketball, but. I love the NCAA tournament. Right. But it just makes the regular season ridiculous. But the NCAA tournament's been along forever. Right. And it's not, yeah. It's only going to expand. No. I'm telling you. Like, if you would have had this weekend that kind of game, one of the World Series between. You know, a, like the best team in the American League and one of the best teams in the National League as far as regular season goes, and now they're finally meeting, would have gotten a hell of a lot more attention than the Rangers and Diamondbacks. Clearly, yeah, and that's 100%. what happens when you've got now the NCAA October madness in in Major League Baseball. So, yeah, I got no problem with other playoff formats. I hate the baseball one. Yeah, I don't know what to say, but hell. I understand the question, but the only playoff format I have a problem with is baseball. And it's not even necessarily the format. It's how many teams get in, which is a little different. You know, 12 baseball teams get in after 162 games. That's my issue. Jackson, next question. Sure. Uh, Well, Tim, it's Georgia week, baby. Oh, little Jackie Papers. Love that rascal puff. It is Georgia week, Missouri. Now the 14th ranked team in the country heads between the hedges. 
and speechless. <laughs> Heads between the hedges in Athens looking for a program-defining win. First, how did you feel about the Brock Bowerless Bulldogs and how they played against Florida and Jacksonville? Secondly, what does Missouri need to do in order to turn the tide for the program? Maybe pound the run, air it out, create some havoc on defense. What did you see from that game against Florida that uh, reflects on what Missouri needs to do? I would imagine a decent percentage of the audience members watched that game with the rainy, crappy weather we had this weekend in St. Louis, a perfect weekend to watch sports. And uh, the Blues, of course, weren't playing on a Saturday afternoon. Doggies weren't playing until last night. Uh, Cardinals inactive. So what are we going to watch? Ah, let's turn on the Georgia-Florida game. Yep. And you probably knew by the time they went to halftime that you weren't going to be watching in the second half. Correct. That was a skull pounding. Yep. And that was uh, another reminder of why Georgia has now won 24 games in a row and two straight national championships. And what is it, 41 of their last 42 games? Yeah, I think that's what it is, 40 or 41. So the thing is, I I don't know what to make of Florida, and I don't know what to make of Kentucky, which is Georgia's two best wins. Yeah, Yeah, oh my God. I mean, how can you? Because Kentucky whooped up on Florida, and then Kentucky gets smoked by Tennessee. Not smoked, but 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 Florida beat Tennessee in the swamp. It's it's, it's a little odd. I guess maybe everybody in the middle of the SEC is kind of anybody can get anybody deal. Yeah, kind of how it is. But the domination that Georgia has displayed in beating Kentucky and that score was not indicative on Saturday of how badly they beat Florida. That was not a 43 to 20 game. That was that felt more like a 60 to 3 Missouri's visiting Norman Oklahoma in the 1980s with Woody's wagon kind of appearance. Um, that was absolute domination. So yeah, no Brock Bowers, no problem. Um, now, with that said, Missouri has at times looked incredibly dominant, but it's Missouri, so it doesn't carry the same kind of respect. But it shouldn't carry the same kind of respect because Missouri hasn't won 40, 41, and 24 straight and two straight national championships, so you understand it. Uh, the, I think some Missouri fans were really irritated that the number was as big as it was as far as the spread goes, mm-hmm. 17 and a half. Um, it dropped to 16. I don't see why you could be mad. But to me, that yeah, who cares? I mean, the, that, <laughs> More money. This, this isn't based on, like, we're going to upset Missouri fans. It's based on math. Right. They're trying not to yeah, lose money. business. <laughs> they're not trying to upset a guy who's obsessed with, you know, uh, feeling like your program's disrespected at every turn. You know? So, yeah, I would. if you're asking me to set the number, I would set it right around 15 to 17. So yeah. 16 seems like the perfect spot. So with that said, I still think Missouri has a chance. Do I expect Missouri to win? No. Would I be disappointed if they lost? You better believe it. The point is the program has made progress this year. The program actually made progress last year. It just didn't feel like it because they lost a few games that they really were holding on to the football or 20-yard field goal away from from winning and whatever rule that was against Kentucky that backfired on the punt. So with that all said, uh, it's and I'm glad Gabe, were you surprised that Gabe, when I asked Gabe, Gabe was on TMA earlier today. And I said, would this be the biggest win for Missouri in our lifetimes? And, and Gabe and I are both, I think Gabe's 48 and 47. And uh, and he said, no, I don't think so. I think Kansas in 2007 and, and even some of those games in 2013 and 14. And I'm like, man, I just... To me, this is it. Th- th- if it were to happen. Right. If it were to happen. It. If it were to happen. Yeah. You know, Missouri's played against great teams, but you got to win. And if it were, were to happen... Would it be? And yes, it would be. I because what Gabe's premise is, then the next week against Tennessee becomes the biggest game. And I, I get that. And then the next week after Florida, and the next week after Arkansas, and then the SEC championship. I get all of that. But beating Tennessee at home 
a two-loss, most like most likely mm-hmm. Tennessee team, because uh, I think Tennessee's got UConn, yeah, and a thirty-point favorite. Yeah. So Tennessee, I mean, if Tennessee is sitting there with three losses, that means they lost to a thirty-point underdog. But uh, it would be the biggest win in my lifetime for Missouri football, and I and I don't know the, the, the beating Kansas in two thousand seven was a great win. It made them number one in the country. But I think even some Kansas fans, like ones who are honest and not obsessed with Missouri, and don't get me wrong, plenty of Missouri fans are obsessed with Kansas. Like, I was polling for Kansas on Saturday against Oklahoma without question. Why? Because it's good for Missouri uh, that Oklahoma lost. That if you go in and you beat the number one team in the uh, country, winning 24 straight games and two straight national championships at their place on national television, the 230 CBS spot... What has been bigger than that? Right. And I think also a part of it is now that CFP, the college football playoff, is part of it. Whereas with the Kansas game, you know, you're obviously number one in the country, but you're still dealing with the BCS selection yeah, process. Yeah, had Missouri beaten Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship, they were a win away. For they, sure. they truly were. In this case, they would be four wins away. But as far as, here is my thing, and this is, and, and I think I can, this is a unifying take, even though it's certainly not my goal. I'm a divider. I'm not a unifier, and oh, I yeah. pride myself on yeah, that. Meat and potatoes as well. Thank you. Meat and potatoes, pro, proletariat. Missouri is not considered, nor should they be, one of the blue bloods in college football. But in order to be the man, you got to beat the man. And baby, I am the man. Rolex time, 24 hours. Camera, it's been your pleasure. Air Alliance team cameras, as a matter of fact. In order to get the respect from the blue bloods, you got to go in and you got to beat the blue bloods. And yep. Kansas was not a blue blood. They were a very good team. But I think if you watched them a lot, that you knew Missouri was a better team. It just shaked out perfectly because Kansas was undefeated, so it made it look better than they may have actually been. So with that all established, this is a blue blood defending national champion in their building, 24-game winning streak, will be number one or two in in the college football playoff committee's poll when they get together tomorrow night and announce that. Um, I think Ohio State is live, actually, to be number one in that thing. I'm anxious to see how they how they handle it, because I think it could be Ohio State, Georgia, or Michigan yeah, at number all one. Three have I don't think Florida State will be number one, but they'll be number four. Yeah. Uh, so with that all said, this is your chance. Great moments are born from great opportunity, and that's what you have here tonight, boys. That's what you've earned. Herb Brooks, Miracle Jackson. I keep saying it because in order for a game to be big, you had to have done something to get there. Yeah, 100%. And am I expecting them to win? Of course I'm not. How can you expect a 16-point fair? Do I think they can? I absolutely do. And I would say that if I didn't go to school there. I watch a hell of a lot of college football. What were we on this weekend, Jackson? Kansas, Cal, Wisconsin. They all covered and one of them actually won straight up. Uh, the only game that shocked me as far as an outcome and a size of margin was Oregon going in and tip of the cap to them, beating Utah up. like they did. What? College game day in the building in right. Salt Lake City. But here's the reality. I could see Georgia winning this thing by 30-plus points. That's the reality. But I also could see Missouri winning it. And I think as far as the sets of circumstances for this, it's as much as you could ask for from the Missouri side. Georgia's in the middle of a run against a big rival in Jacksonville playing Florida, then Missouri, then Ole Miss, which might get more attention nationally, uh, that game being in Athens, and then on the road in Knoxville. That is a real gauntlet for Georgia. Missouri, bye week. Georgia, 
incredibly confident. I thought it was bad for Missouri that LSU lost to Ole Miss the week before because it refocuses a group yeah. of guys who might be super confident. It's the perfect set of circumstances. And James Carlton, our sponsor of Gabe Diarman on TMA and on Fridays here on 101 ESPN, said, if Carson Beck's the quarterback of LSU against Missouri, does LSU win that game? And without question, the answer is no. no. And that's not necessarily a shot at Carson Beck, the quarterback of Georgia. It's 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 an observation of how great Jaden Daniels is, who, for my money, still is alive for the Heisman Trophy. And now he's down to plus 400. Yeah, 4 to 1. So that kind of sucks. I thought that was a good long shot play in 4 to 1 and that much of a long shot in the Heisman race. So with that all said, uh, it, it would be the biggest win for Missouri football in my lifetime. And I would say it would actually be bigger than if they beat Tennessee following the week yeah. because you're beating Georgia at Georgia when they are the number one or number two team and the two-time defending national champion. And it puts the program on the map when it comes to perception of college football fans around the country. Right now it's all Missouri. Well, I mean, they're going to lose to Georgia. They're probably going to lose to Tennessee too. Who gives a damn? You've got to earn that respect to be the man. you got to beat the man. Georgia's the man. So you got your chance. Now go out there and take it. Fight Tiger. I'll take a commercial break. Come back with more Balloon Party here on 101 ESPN and YouTube. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back. Balloon Party 101 ESPN driven by Munganas Burkhardt, Alton Toyota, 101 ESPN and on YouTube. Very active chat today. I love to see it. The Air Alliance team uh, studio cameras making that possible. And Don PP is running things. No surprise. Yeah, that's... Don PP, man. That guy's got it all figured out in there. Uh, Jeremy Rutherford with us at 1045. Jackson, we are in the midst of the Little Piddles Angry Beaver weekend wrap-up. We have tended to cities for one loss last night to Sporting KC, Missouri, and Georgia week in the college football landscape. Jackson now has a third question for all of us here on 101 ESPN, and, of course, the wonderful people in the YouTube chat on the 101 ESPN channel. Jackson? Yeah, so I'm glad you mentioned Jerry Rutherford, who will be joining us at 1045, because my next question pertains to the St. Louis Blues. The Blues lose a tough one in British Columbia against the Canucks after a brutal second period on Friday. Folks understandably sold their stock on the note for the season. Did you like Craig Berube's move to make Verona a healthy scratch to send a message? Is there anything else he can do, or is this team just what the standings show, wildly inconsistent? Well, I would actually tell you that the first period on Friday night was alarming. It was alarming. I believe the exact shots on goal total was 19 to 3. Oof. It may have, I think it was 19 to 3. And then I think the shots attempted, which is, I mean, this is, this doesn't seem right, but I believe it was 35 to 4. This is different than shots on goal. And I know you know that. I mean, I feel like I'm telling that to Jamie Rivers. But holy crap. Wow. The fact that it was only one to nothing is a small miracle. Because if you just look at those stats, you'd go, was it four or five nothing after the first period? It was only one nothing. And it's one of those things that, um, listen, I'm not making a comparison, but I know everybody listening to this show, when I say first period of game seven in Boston, you know what I'm talking about. For the first 10 minutes or so of that game, you're going, oh, my God, it's just a matter of time before the Bruins break through. Now, you're not watching, I hope for your sake, you weren't watching Friday night, you know, game seven or whatever it was against the Canucks with that same intensity. Mm -hmm. 
But if you were just even casually watching that, you'd go, oh, God, what is going on here? I mean, that was oh, yeah. startling what went on in the first period. And then you go, okay, well, maybe you can bounce back because they only got one goal. But then then the dam broke in the second period. Uh, and what stands out to me at this point, yeah, he's certainly sending a message to Rana uh, with the unhealthy scratch back-to-back games as they, they wrapped up the uh, Western Canada road trip. But also, the range of performance for the Blues so far. It's crazy. And it's and it's it's actually kind of fun if you're a gambler. <laughs> yeah. What what happened the last time? They got their asses kicked. Great. They're somehow going to beat the Avalanche on Wednesday. Right. No idea how, <laughs> but they're somehow going to beat the Avalanche in Denver on Wednesday. Yeah. It it makes absolutely no sense. But that's because, I mean, you can go back and go, okay, bad game, good game, bad game, game. You know, I mean, it, the first couple of games, you're going against the Stars. Thanks, Jordan Bennington, for right. getting it to a point where they could get a point. Didn't do much offensively against the Kraken. But, hey, you know what? Squeaked we went in the line. shootout and got it. Uh, and then you got the Coyotes game. And you go, wow. Right. I was at the bad, that's a bad hockey team. And then they play Sidney Crosby and Malkin. Oh, School them. Okay. Well, here they come. And then off to Winnipeg. Oh, my God. Bad hockey team. Head to Calgary. Holy crap. Look how good the Blues are. Well, what's next? Well, they won last night, so it's going to be bad. But I never expect to be that bad. Chris Kerber, I was listening to the the Curbside podcast, and he goes, it may have been one of the worst periods the Blues have played in years. So that's saying something like that's not Mike Greenberg who I'm sure has said something was the best or worst 10 times already (laughs) of all time on his show this morning that's a guy calling games you know who saw some bad hockey in particular last year that was how bad that was in the first period it's just so listen that can happen and I think if you would have said going into the year that that's going to happen you go yeah that's probably unfortunately possible but then you would have a tough time going this is the same team that within a week beat the Penguins in, in the manner they did and then beat the Flames in the manner they did the night before. I recognize the Flames are not a great hockey team. So that is what stands out to me more than anything yeah. is that they can have that kind of performance. That is, that's a holy crap kind of period. And uh, the thing that I'd say, though, is how they get out of it only down one nothing. That is, that's eye-opening. So we know, of course, they're going to win on Wednesday and look like, you know, the Oilers in the 1980s playing against the Avalanche somehow. I have no idea how. It's just bad game, good game, bad game, good game, bad game, good game. That's what they do. Plenty of rest going into this game. I hate that they play on Friday night and then don't play again until Wednesday Sounds night. like you're holding the NHL schedule makers accountable right it's, here. It's the second time this year they've had this like massively long break. It's just it's, it's inconsistent. Then you got to make them play two in a row in Western Canada. I, I just don't like that. Um, that is what the uh, set, set, setting is. It'll be Wednesday night. Uh, pre-game here on 101 ESPN gets underway at 7.30. Blues and Avalanche. Yeah, they wrap up the month of October. Really, I, I would imagine playing the fewest amount of games yeah, of any team uh, in the NHL. So back to 500 they go with a, an uninspiring performance. And it sucks when the last game before a break of sorts That's the key. is that game. Because yeah. you kind of sit on it. It would have been lovely if it would have been Thursday, Friday, but it is what the Blues have before they go up against one of the top teams in the game, the Colorado Avalanche, which you can catch here on 101 ESPN. Jeremy Rutherford with us at 1045. We continue the Little Piddles Angry Beaver Weekend wrap-up. On the other side of the break, you're listening to Balloon Party, driven by Munganass, Burkhardt, Alton, Toyota, here on 101 ESPN and on YouTube.
All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the balloon party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to McKernan Action Jackson with you, Jeremy Rutherford, with us at 1045 on the program. The YouTube chat is active today. It's becoming a, you know what it is? It's becoming a whole scene. Yeah, real hot. It's like, the viper, it's like the viper room of the internet. Very similar. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Jackson, you have another question on this Little Piddles Angry Beaver weekend wrap-up. Yes, sir. With Kansas beating Oklahoma, the field has opened up for the college football playoff. Certainly, someone will still be left out. Who do you think are the outright favorites to be one of the four teams being represented in the college football Boy, playoff? I like this question. Because we're not asking who do you think is going to win the national champion. You're asking if we were putting probabilities on it, what team is the most likely to get one of those four spots? Am I following this wonderful question correctly? Absolutely. All right. First off, let's give credit to the Colonel. Although yeah. we both liked Kansas as well. The Colonel, when I said, well, who's on upset alert this week? And he went rock chalk and he really hates Kansas too. So that, oh, yeah. that was big of him. That was big of him. Um, so tip of the cap to the Colonel for calling it. I did Moneyline Kansas, but it was in a parlay with Cal and Cal ruined that for me. Ah, brutal. And also Wisconsin. So I didn't even have a sweat there, but I did take uh, Wisconsin in the 14 and a half. So that little hook got me a win on Saturday night. Um, the most likely team. Here's the issue. Ohio State goes to Ann Arbor. The Wolverines go to Happy Valley. Mm-hmm. Am I correct on both those statements? Yes. Washington has to go to L.A. Yes. They have all kinds of tests left, yes, and they, they nearly lost to Stanford this past weekend, and I think they really should have lost to Arizona State, but hell, both of them they could have lost. Oregon, I think, has the best win of anybody this year as far as statement against a good team, and that was this past weekend against Utah. And I know Utah kind of is in the same category of Missouri in that nobody really pays attention to them nationally, but to their credit, they actually have championships, the Pac-12 Conference champions last two years. And they had won 29-30 at home, and they just got stomped by Oregon. That was super impressive. So I'm starting to wonder if Oregon might just be the team that that could be the, the national champion oh, yeah. and is going to fly under the radar. But you can't say they're the odds-on favorite to get the college football playoff because they cannot lose again. Right, no. They you know cannot. what I mean? No. They cannot lose again. Uh-huh. I, and that's weird to say because I still think LSU is alive with two losses and Oregon has one, but I, th- I think it's a different deal for Oregon. UW's uh, got a tough schedule. To UW, Washington still has Oregon State and Washington State and, uh, and USC this weekend, correct? And Utah. And Utah. I mean, that is... Yeah. They, Ooh, their do next they still have Oregon State? I think, I think they have Oregon. Be, so they have their next at four USC. games at USC, at home against Utah, at Oregon State, and then at home against Wazoo. And then most likely Oregon. Yeah. I yeah, mean, so that's holy brutal. crap. That's brutal. So... It, it's tough because I would say Michigan or Ohio State, but I really think Michigan loses to Penn State 
And I really think Ohio State loses, loses to, to Michigan. Michigan. Yeah, and then you have a quest. Then and then that? you go, okay, well, then it must be Georgia. And I think that Georgia loses one of these next few games. Yeah. And I'll tell you which one I think it is. Which one do you think I think it is? I'll include the following. Home against Missouri, home against Ole Miss, at Tennessee. I don't know where they play Georgia Tech. Here's uh, a tell. I'm not considering that as one of the options. And I then the SEC a, championship against LSU or Alabama. Yeah, I think that you think they'll lose to the Ole Miss. No. Oh, that, Tennessee. I think Tennessee would be the one it, that I had to pick. I just think Neyland, it's, it's yeah. at and It depends on what Tennessee's situation is. But at the same time, Tennessee could lose to Missouri and still be on point for that game. Sure. It's just, it, that home thing is such a factor. I don't like Georgia. It's a whole thing. So with that all said... I, I got to answer somebody unless I'm and, and, and I, I still think Florida State's going to get tripped up. I guess the easiest road is Florida State, I guess. Yes, they certainly would have the easiest road. But I think of the four teams that will be in the top four tomorrow, I think they're the least likely to win the national championship. Right. Put it that way. Right. So, so many questions. I don't know. I would what, say where are you throwing your money? You got to throw you got to pick somebody. I mean, that's a tough thing about Ohio it. State. Ohio State, just because until Michigan, they don't play anybody. Like yeah. they, it's like Rutgers and Purdue and some other. You know. Yeah, I think, I think actually mathematically, Ohio State may be the right answer because whereas Michigan still has to deal with Penn State and Ohio State, Ohio State doesn't have. They just have to deal with And Michigan. hey, to their credit, they they won this past Saturday in Madison, and I know Wisconsin was 5-2, and two, but they're in the still Big Ten West. Still a road West. game. Still a road game at night. But they won at night in South Bend, and they and they beat Penn State at home. I mean, I th- I th- if I were ranking right now, I would actually put Ohio State number one. I hope Georgia's number one, but I would put Ohio State number one. Yeah, Ohio State has Rutgers and at home. The, whoever that wins the Big Ten West doesn't matter in the Big Ten Championship, unlike what Georgia will have to deal with, or Missouri, or Tennessee, no. uh, and unlike the Pac-12, because you're going to have a good team for whoever is the team there. So, yeah, I think the right answer is Ohio State. Nice and answer, Jackson. The Big 12, we reasoned it out. The Big 12 is a huge question mark now, because now you have one lost Texas and one lost Oklahoma. Gets in. Yeah, if, if there's going to be a conference left out, it might be the Big 12. Texas may wind up with the best win uh, if Alabama wins out. Yes. I just, I really, if you're asking me to take it, one or the other, taking the points out of it, I'm taking LSU this Saturday night in, in Tuscaloosa. Agreed. I really am high on that. I really like that play. For the record, I loved Utah against Oregon, <laughs> so I want to make sure it's clear. All right, uh, Jimmy Arthur is going to talk about us. the magic. I'm curious how he ranks that period, because I saw some people in the YouTube chat saying it was one of the worst periods of hockey they can recall seeing. Yeah. That first period against Vancouver. Jimmy Rutherford next year on Balloon Party. Back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to Balloon Party 101 ESPN and YouTube. Tim McKernan, Action Jackson with the final segment. Then BK and Ferrario take over for three hours before the boys from the fast lane uh, come on in and make magic. It is our pleasure to welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen, the great Jeremy Rutherford. Morning, JR. Crickets, crickets, crickets. What's no, up? There was a, there was a rousing uh, applause there, in particular in the YouTube uh, YouTube chat. That oh, t- was there? Yeah, tiny yeah, peepee. Jackson, Jackson must have had it potted down. I couldn't hear it. Yeah, <laughs> it's an audio issue on our end. Uh, what did you like about the first period against the Canucks? Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, I had Luke Korak over at my house. We were watching the game, and we had some pizza and beer, so that was about the best. Uh, <laughs> that was like a good night. <laughs> I mean, holy crap. That was that was alarming. 
That was, that was. You know what? Uh, honesty in media and how the sausage is made here, we've had these conversations before in the past, but especially with a late game like in Vancouver, if you're going to write a story, you have to kind of pre-write it a little bit, and especially coming off that win over Calgary, I felt like I could start to construct some sections of a story that say, hey, things look pretty decent uh, in this area, that area. Tim, I had to rewrite the whole thing. No. Like it, it was just, yeah, you can't publish that the next day. Uh, with any of those types of thoughts with the way they played. I mean, that was just above and beyond bad. And that first period especially, uh, as Curbs touched on earlier today, uh, the shot attempts in that first period. Uh, I can't recall, I think Randy said this too, Randy Carricker, I can't recall a swing that drastic from one game to the next. I get it. You can talk about, well, Calgary's a bad team, Vancouver's a better team. I get it, but that was as as drastic as I've ever seen. I mean, that was startling. It kind of looked like if they put together a group of, you know, know, I don't know, like a junior amateurs who got a chance to play against an NHL team or something like that. It was just so stunning. And and then in addition to that, you go with what took place in the very same week. You had two... I don't want to call them A-plus games, but damn good performances against the Penguins and against the Flames. But then also in between there, you had the game against Winnipeg, which most likely played a role in what's gone on here over the last two with the healthy healthy scratch with uh, Jacob Vrana, that the the consistency of the inconsistency is phenomenal. And by that I mean, well, you know every other game to date they're going to play a really good game and then they'll play a bad game. It's good game, bad game. Last year it was like a bunch of streaks of losing and then winning and then losing. This year it's just on and off and on and off. It is, it's super strange to witness. Obvious small sample size, but still it's been every other game. It really is. And, you know, covering Doug Armstrong for, what, 12 years now, 13 years, you know, I could probably write down a list of the top three or four things that he says and he talks about and he brings up a lot. And one of them is the peaks can't be as high and the valleys can't be as low. Yeah. They can't be. And that's that's a famous phrase of, of his. And that's what we're seeing here uh, with the way they've played. You know, opening night, Dallas, Stanley Cup contending team. Game goes to a, a shootout. You know, lose to uh, Arizona, beat Pittsburgh, beat Calgary, lose the way he did against Vancouver. Uh, Craig Burby was asked this, Tim, yesterday. I asked him about the win-loss, win-loss, win-loss trend, and he said, uh, you just got to bring that consistency, which, you know, it's really a a non-answer, but he said we just have to keep pushing it in practice, pushing it in games, play predictable, you know, bring the same style. Uh, But then when asked, you know, why has it been an issue, he flat out said, good question, I don't know. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, you were, you brought up the point that certainly many would observe. Well, I mean, you want to talk Calgary and Vancouver. Vancouver's in a different class than Calgary, but at the same time, you saw some solid, in particular, defensive structure against the Stars to start things off, and then the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, as well. So, you know, this isn't this isn't limited to their their beating up the you know Vanderbilt, so to speak, of the NHL. I mean, they they. they played against some some quality op- opposition and played well. It's been, I mean, hell, one of their worst games was against the Arizona Coyotes. So it's it's not necessarily about who they're playing. And I'm, I'm really confused by it. Is there, a, let's look for this. Is there a constant when the games go off the rails that you can identify statistically or just observation? 
Yeah, well, I think teams are, are coming at them, and I think the teams are fast. Like, we've seen Arizona, quick team. We've seen Seattle's a quick team. We saw Vancouver. You know, they can really skate, and by and large, for the most part, the Blues aren't a quick team. So I think once those teams get kind of humming, uh, they're really coming at them. You know, another thing, and this ties into what you're asking here, is, you know, I thought that this would probably become an issue at, at some point is, okay, so you install the new defensive system, and everybody's excited about the season starting, and everybody's excited, okay, you tell me what to do, and I'll do it. We're going to get off to a good start. Craig Gruby said it himself yesterday. This is a hard way to play. It's a it's a mindset that you're playing defensively that you're going to pack it in and, and block these shots and defense first, and you know, you're going to try to jump at opportunities and create offense, but it's not always going to be there. And what have we seen the first couple weeks of the season – you know, the, the, the scoring's down, the offense is down. Like these players, I wondered, you know, are they going to have fun playing this system? And yeah. heck, we're only, what are we in, October? I mean, this is, this is a situation where, you know, these guys have to keep up this mindset and this attitude that they're going to go out and do this. And, oh, by the way, maybe the offense isn't going to come and just keep doing it January, February. So, you know, I thought this might be an issue at some point, but it seems like here we are before even November and, and it's an issue. One of the things that stands out to me in the games that go off the rails is it looks like the opposing team is on the power play when they're not. Sustained yeah. pressure in the blue zone. And it's one of those things that uh, if you're scouting the blues, you go, let's just get the puck in the blue zone and then we should be able to keep it in there until we get a really good score opportunity. That isn't something I recall even when the Blues have had off seasons. The teams have this kind of sustained pressure in their zone. Do you see that? And if so, what do you think causes it? Yeah, for sure. And I, being honest here, I can't, uh, I don't recall um, ever like this year where three or four times this season, I've looked at the TV at the bottom of the screen at the graphic. Just, Did I miss a power play? Like they're <laughs> on the power play now? Like this is what it looks like now. I've never seen that. Um yeah, but here's the thing. You know, we go back to something we've been talking about for the past three weeks is that I think that some of that was expected, that the other team was going to get that zone time and the other team was going to get um, those opportunities. But in talking to a couple of these players, you know, Robert Thomas the other day, uh, Jacob Vrana yesterday had a chat with him. Like, they all feel that, look, we need to turn this into offense. We need to do a better job of pouncing, being aggressive, jumping on pucks, you know, turning this thing over and getting – going the other way whereas to me what i've been watching is what you're saying just too much zone time for the other team looks like a power play and do you see any blues who are actively trying to jump up and and break things up and try to get that transition that these guys are talking about to me it just seems like a team that's kind of on their heels and just waiting for the other team to make a mistake where it's an obvious turnover and you're back the other way this is more of an abstract question and you can speak to it being in the room as often as you are um we have a texture from the 870 saying they've never replaced the leadership in the legs of uh tarasenko o'reilly and then even going back two years to peron uh, and this team's forwards are just not very good. That certainly is opining on, you know, Cairo Thomas and, and whether or not we'll even see them continue to stay together on their line. But then also the leadership element. Of course, Braden Shen's wearing the C on a sweater. But uh, how would you respond to that? And if that's contributing to anything with regards to inconsistency? Yeah, the question's leadership. I'm not buying it. You know, I feel like uh, Braden Shen is a quality leader. Mo- a majority of Blues fans have been saying for a number of years that he's captain material. Right. And, and look, this is just, to me, what we have to do here is step back from the big picture. We have to step back and look at the big picture and say that this is a retool. I feel like there's a lot of evaluation that is based on this team being 
a contender, a playoff team. And, and we have to realize what this really is. So we can't every time something goes wrong or it doesn't look good say, you know, the leadership's not doing their job. How can the leadership walk into a room that isn't as talented as, as most rooms around the league and say, hey, come on, guys. I get it. You can push guys to be better, and on some nights it's going to look good. But at some point, it's a lack of talent or a talent that doesn't match up. Even if they're giving it their all and they're out there blocking these shots, it's not going to be a team that's going to be able to compete with some of these uh, teams that we consider Stanley Cup contenders. So to me, the leadership's fine. Um, That always comes up every time a team starts losing, but to me it's not an issue right now. Uh, Final question, and we don't have much time. Uh, The Verona decision, discussion, where are things with that? Surprise level on your end. Uh, What do you think we'll see on Wednesday in Denver? Yeah, I talked to him yesterday. I have a piece up at The Athletic with with his thoughts. He said message received. You know, he's looking to respond. Um, Yesterday he was on the third line in practice, so it looks like he might play Wednesday against Colorado. However, I'll give you this caveat. Uh, Torpchenko did not practice yesterday, lower body. They were going to keep him off for a couple days. You know, do they put Torpchenko back in that spot and, and Verana could be out? You know, it also depends, Tim. Do they go 11-7? What are they doing yeah. with the with the lineup? So we'll see. But the bottom line is, I, I would think that Verana is going to be back in the lineup because Craig Bruby said, let's see the response from him. Uh, but that's not a guarantee right now. There he is. Jeremy Rutherford with us every Monday here on Balloon Party. JR, thank you so much. Thanks, Timmy. There he is. That's Jeremy Rutherford with us, and it's time for us to shut it down. BK and Ferrario are up next. For Jackson Burkett, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been Balloon Party, driven by Mungadass Burkhard, Alton Toyota. You've been listening to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.